Alrighty. Um, so we're back. Week three of the Road to Infinity War podcast. That's why I named it, right? That is what you named it. Okay, so uh, we're back with uh, Jeremy Visser and uh, my colleague Sam Nicholson. Howdy. And um, I don't know if we really explained the podcast a ton in the last one, so for anyone who managed to get through two episodes or started on the third, uh, we are watching a movie every week and talking about it uh, and talking about any tie-in comics while they go, and then... By the time we finish the last movie, that'll be the week that Infinity War comes out. And uh, as far as this has been going, I guess we're generally doing this on a Friday and then hopefully have it uploaded for the weekend. So I'm thinking second last week we'll just do a double episode, kind of like our our first uh, two weeks went. That and then that way you. we'll have the everything up before we see Infinity War and then we can podcast about that that sounds good all right so this week is iron man 2 um so the order we're gonna go through it starts off with uh iron man public identity the tie-in comic which follows up right after um iron man 1 and then we've got iron man agents of shield which is kind of a short read following uh nick fury um, Black Widow and Agent Coulson um, and then we talk about the movie and then I'll mention the very little stuff that's in the actually I might talk a little bit about the adaptation comic because it's different hmm so alright so Iron Man Public Identity so that one takes place right after the events of, of Iron Man and it's dealing with um, him telling the world that he's that he's Iron Man and that his public identity is now out there. Um, it's written by Joe Casey, which is a switch up. I think Peter David did the Captain America First Vengeance and the Iron Man uh, adaptation comic. Who's Peter David's great? He uh, it's written some some great stuff. I think I mostly know him from uh, creating Spider Man twenty ninety nine. Um, Joe Casey. Has been a Spider-Man writer at times, too. Uh, I think he wrote I Kill Giants. Um, he's done some Deadpool. I want to say he helped create Deadpool. I might be wrong on that. I think it was Joe Casey and Ed McGinnis. You say he created, right. created Deadpool? I believe so. Wow. Maybe Google that to prove me wrong. I honestly... Get I don't know. I can trust you on that. Head. I can trust yeah. you. Yeah. Um... So he wrote this, I think, with help from Justin Theroux, who wrote the screenplay for Iron Man 2. Yes, that's right, which I was surprised about. That's, I don't think you normally see that in the spinoff comics, that the actual writer of the, the movie has a whole lot to do with them. Yeah, which is, which is interesting. I, I kind of got it confused and was, was thinking it was like screenwriters for the movies helping do the adaptation because it's technically their uh, dialogue that they're using for all the stuff. But, uh, no, yeah, this one is a follow-up. So, um, we, we get a lot of, uh, flashbacks during this, this comic with, uh, Howard Stark and Anton Vanko working on the arc reactor. Correct? 
That's right, before Vanko gets a little bit uh, greedy for his own good. A greedy Russian. Like, that's not a comic stereotype. <laughs> um, so, one of my favorite parts about this was, obviously, aside from seeing Howard Stark and, you know, seeing, like, kind of the some some lead up to uh to the iron man 2 story um edwin jarvis is in the comic and he's you know the stark's butler uh which ties into agent carter and uh we actually have a scene at one point in the comic where uh i think tony's talking to uh jarvis the ai and then he he's like oh you know we always used to have such good times whenever I came back uh, from school for the summer. And then he's like, sir, I, I don't recall that. And he's like, yeah, yeah I guess you wouldn't. <laughs> and I was like, oh, so it's like very much shown here that he named Jarvis after, you know, for a rich kid, what was probably one of his uh, one of his best friends with, uh, you know, Howard Stark not really paying him a lot of attention and stuff. I'm sure Jarvis was uh, very close to him, which yeah. is shown there. That's one. That's one uh, relationship I would. I don't think it could be done, but I'd like to see it explored. You know, uh, between young Tony and uh, and Jarvis, just seeing you know seeing Jarvis and Agent Carter, and and just knowing him as a character, I think he would be very very comedically well paired with uh, with Tony. And they could. It would have been in an alternate universe. It'd be kind of cool to see maybe Tony and Jarvis have like a Batman and Alfred type relationship, where he's this kind of trusty butler who who knows everything. But uh, alas, I don't think we'll ever get to see that in the MCU. Yeah, yeah, I guess there's not really any time for it now. Not that it wouldn't be done uh, with uh, the technology and stuff we have, as we've seen young Tony done in, like, uh, Civil War. Yeah. It would just be like a a Coulson situation, where, like, if Coulson were to come back now after all these years, it would just be kind of jarring to the audience. I think it would be kind of the the same with Jarvis were to show up in an Avengers movie or some sort of Iron Man movie, just because not everyone has watched Agent Carter, so... But it would be it would be cool to, to that, that'd be a dream of mine to see that, that those two interact. Yeah, it would be uh, be a shame, jarring Jarvis. <laughs> um. So yeah, what are some other stuff I got from the comic here? So Anton and Stark are working on their Unity project, which is you know the arc reactor, and I think they're trying to take it one step further. And then he gets greedy and gets deported. Um. I forget when, but at some point we have a, a WHIH uh, mention in the comic. Um, so, you know, more of that news network getting yeah. thrown across the, the MCU. Uh, I think Tony is... Uh, he's getting arrogant in this comic. He's getting really, you know, how, how he is in the movie and, and just loving this persona and he's, you know, a, a superhero and he's... he's uh, really drinking it in uh and there's a scene where he's at the playboy mansion with hugh hefner which is kind of a fun little nod to uh stanley's cameo in iron man one yeah um the ten rings are at some point in it and i don't remember when or how i think he's i think he's busting ten rings uh operations i would assume yeah it's kind of like clean up from from yeah. iron man one and I, I like that you get to see that that arrogance a little bit because he I, I think he, for the first time, he genuinely feels good about what he's doing. Like, they're not making weapons, they're not profiteering off of weapons anymore, and they're not, uh, you know, he's, he's doing a good thing. Like, he's suited up as a superhero. It's pre-Avengers, so there's not really a whole lot of competition in that arena. He's kind of the first or one of the first after Cap, so it's kind of cool to see him drink that in, and, you know, even though it gets to him later on with his arrogance, it's still 
a nice little character beat, I think. Definitely, definitely. Um, at, at one point in his, uh, you know, uh, being on Cloud Nine kind of mood, he uh, I think he high fives Dummy. I think we get a high five <laughs> for good old Dummy, which is a shame because he gets berated most of Iron Man Two again. Um, <laughs> Poor Dummy, can't get no respect. Uh, we see Rhodes uh, being commissioned to write the report on the Iron Man weapon. Um, oh yes, which is funny because I think he, he I think he might say it to Tony at some point. But in the movie, when uh, he finds out, you know, when he walks into the hearing and stuff, Tony's like, I did not expect to see you here. And then he's like, I'm here, deal with it. <laughs> and I was kind of like, that's that's funny and, and, and kind of fitting that Tony would be like, man, you told me this, but I totally didn't expect that you would be here doing this thing you told me. Because, uh, you know, I'm Tony Stark. I forget about stuff. I got too much shit on the go. <laughs> yeah, I got too much happening. Um, at some point, he talks about uh, trying to build a brand for Iron Man. And I thought that uh, it's kind of a funny thing. I think he's uh, a little doing a little brand building in, in the movie as well. Um, we get introduced to Senator Stern in this comic. Uh, and we get General Ross yes. in the comic a lot, which is a great uh, kind of tie together there. If I remember correctly, he's trying to get uh, Hammer to... Is he trying to get Hammer to build a replacement Iron Man suit or something along those lines? Yeah, and then Hammer bungles it at some point but still manages to hold on to uh some form of uh you know like like reputation and some form of power with the military there i guess or his friendship with uh senator stern there um so yeah he gets he gets a contract uh with the military on trying to build that ross doesn't seem to care for him too much uh and then general ross um by the end, we find he's kind of doing this mostly just to test Iron Man and see his capabilities, less than to, I don't know, try and pull everything over him. He's kind of playing the long game in this, and because we don't see too much of him until Civil War, so that makes sense. Um, and I think he's a little busy during the events of Iron Man too, because I believe Incredible Hulk... I mean, I haven't read Fury's Big Week yet, so I don't know exactly how it plays out. But later in Iron Man 2, I think you see the uh, the scene, um, like the interview for outside Culver University on one of the TVs at the very end of Iron Man 2. Yeah, that's right. So so they kind of tie in around the same time, I would say. Yeah, well, Iron Man 2, Hulk, and Thor all take place in the same week, which is kind of interesting when you think about it because there's Cap in the 40s and there's Iron Man in 08, and then there's like a few-year gap where... You know, it goes straight from Iron Man 1 to pretty much the building up of the Avengers. So there's this time in between where you don't really know what Iron Man has actually been up to. And that's why I like this comic. It kind of, you know, builds with him initially starting off small, cleaning up the Ten Rings. And then you can start to see him building into the character he's going to be in Iron Man 2 and further on. Definitely, definitely. Um, what else do we see? So yeah, we, we get another flashback where Anton, you know, sells out and gets deported. Um, we see young Obadiah telling uh, Howard Stark, you know, what did he expect? Just deal with it, kind of thing. Yeah, I like but, the uh, cameo. It kind of kind of shows the arc reactor wasn't just to shut the hippies up, like Obadiah says. Like it was kind of a precursor to something something bigger, and uh, he never quite got there. Yeah. Um, we see Howard freak out on a young Tony, which you know, and Jarvis comforting him, and kind of shows that dynamic there. Um, we see 
Tony's Magna Drone, which is a mind-sweeping missile, which oh, I thought cool. was neat. So, uh, you know, what what is what is Stark Industries doing aside from you know just kind of uh, if they're not selling weapons and and it's just you know Iron Man's doing his thing. What is the company doing? So that's that's an example of them switching from you know military weapons to like an anti-weapon tech. Yeah. Which is very much in building with Iron Man's arc throughout the, the series, which I like. Yeah, and then we see uh, Tony says that he was doing this so he could save uh, mind, mind-sweeping dogs. Like, they sniff out the mines. And then Pepper goes, you did it to save the dogs? And it's just kind <laughs> of like, like a, a <laughs> awesome but ridiculous moment at the same time. As a vegan, I'm sure you could appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Always love me some, some animals. Um... We, we get a scene in the the past where Tony's, you know, kind of not on the not in a great spot with his dad, and, and Howard wants to tell him about S.H.I.E.L.D. and tell him about these things, but Tony doesn't really seem to care, and it's just their strained relationship uh, leading up to all the secrets they have and stuff that comes out in Iron Man 2. Yeah. Um, and then we have... Uh, I think it might be Tony. Someone, someone calls out General Ross. I think it's Tony. On says he's doing genetic enhancement for military exploitation. Which, knowing what we know about Ross, isn't really that surprising. Yeah. So I guess this is something that happens a little before. Because the creation of the Hulk isn't genetic enhancement. That was an accident, right? But, and then what we'll see. Uh, from Abomination and Incredible Hulk is uh, is after this conversation happens for sure. So General Ross has been up to some stuff as we as we see in this. That's pretty much what that deduces. Yeah, which makes sense. General Ross obviously has a very important uh, position. Yeah. Um, so we got. That's that's yeah. That's all I really have to say about public identity. It's pretty, pretty decent. It had some fun stuff to it. I enjoyed it. Yeah, uh, I think, I think it was else? one of the better comics for sure. Definitely. Um, and then we'll move on to Iron Man: Agents of Shield, uh, which is on Marvel Unlimited. They actually have it as a single, like twenty-three page comic, or they have them as separate, like nine-page comics. Which, like, when you take out the title pages and stuff like that, it adds up to... It's the same amount of pages, the same stuff. But, yeah, so they're, like, basically three mini-comics. Hmm. So, the, that, that was written by Joe Casey as well. The first one follows Nick Fury. Uh, I found next to nothing happened in this. I don't even... The, the events are completely forgettable. But uh, it's just basically uh, Nick Fury tracking Iron Man and then at the end of it we see that that Tony is keeping surveillance on Nick Fury and hearing you know what he's what he's saying and kind of I think that's him trying to build his brand again but uh it kind of shows that we have Tony Stark you know getting a head up on uh on Fury for once which is a rare occasion yeah um then we have a story with uh Coulson uh training another agent uh, Mr. Hendricks which uh, I don't think has any connection to anything else but I could be wrong 
No, I don't uh, think Mr. Hendricks ever makes an appearance again in the MCU, as far as I know, but I could be mistaken. Yeah, so it seemed like kind of a odd story, like they could have done something more, but, but it's, it's an interesting look at Colton, I suppose. Um, in the Black Widow story, we have her infiltrating uh, Stark Industries um, and, and working her way through the company and the exact line of events and the last panel ends with her um, walking into uh, what I assume is Tony's gym wherever he's got his boxing ring there uh, where he meets her for the first time yeah yeah. so so it's like a direct line up to how she got under the cover of Natalie Rushman and and, you know was doing what she was doing which I thought was super neat I, I like seeing stuff like that yeah, I think out of the three, my favorite was the Black Widow one. I thought that was, uh, you know, just a fun... I, the, I think the point of this comic was just to kind of gen, gently introduce these... I mean, I know we, we met Coulson before, and people had seen Fury at the end of the credits of Iron Man, but a lot of people, like, they, they were kind of small roles in the first movie, so I think this was an attempt to just give a little bit of backstory to these characters who were suddenly going to become a lot more important in, in Iron Man 2. Definitely. Um, also, interesting thing... Uh so so she's Natasha Romanov and she goes by Natalie Rushman in this so uh, something that, that carries over uh, someone calls her Nat and at a, at a point she goes I hate being called Nat <laughs> which I thought was kind of funny because I'm pretty sure Bruce Banner calls her that and I think I think Hawkeye calls her that too yeah yeah Aunt Nat yeah no, a lot of people call her that so it's I find it weird that she hates being called Nat, and I wonder if that stopped after a certain point, or, uh, I don't know. Well, if my nickname weird. was, you know, Black Widow, I would want people to call me that all the time. Not, never Sam, just Black Widow all the time, so I, I can get it. Sure. Even though no one actually really ever calls her, I don't, do they actually, I, I know they do in some of the comics, but do they actually say the name Black Widow in any of the MCU movies? I'm... I'm kind of spacing on that. I can't remember. I'm sure they do say it at some point, but it's not a name that comes up very often. It's normally just they call her Nat. That is a good yeah, question. Right? I think they just call her Agent Romanoff. Yeah, I don't think she's, she's ever out. actually referred to, or it might be like there might be one scene where like you know a civilian calls her, but even then, like uh, she's not actually referred to a lot as the as the Black Widow. Huh. I might have to rewatch a scene or two from this now. There you go. Interesting. Um, so let's dive into Iron Man 2. So, um, I know I got a little sidetracked trying to, uh, go, um, by, by, like, category, I guess. And, like, like, you know, like, I think halfway through Iron Man 1's cast list, I, I went off on a tangent about the story, uh, but I'll try and keep it together this week. <laughs> um, so yeah, Iron Man two. This came out when two thousand ten. Yes, sir. Um, John Favreau returns to uh, to direct. Um, written by by Justin Thero, as I said. Uh, honestly, I find him ridiculously clever. I think this is probably the wittiest MCU script that there is like like there's there's funnier ones out there for sure um like as much as Guardians Volume 2 is kind of over the top it is super funny um 
but I think this one is the wittiest, and I don't know that Tony Stark ever fires off quips and one-liners and just, like, every line that he said kind of had me in stitches or at least had me, like, really appreciative of of, of uh, how clever he is. Yeah, well, I wouldn't have thought. I, I had no idea, like, going into this. Like, I, I knew who Justin Thoreau was. Um, I did not realize he was a writer, though, and I looked him up after, and he's written... Uh, he wrote this. He wrote Tropic Thunder, which I think is a hilarious movie. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and he wrote wrote like Rock of Ages. So he's like he's done writing, which I had no idea. I just thought he was like a, an actor, and uh, so that was a bit of a surprise that they would hand over, um, you know, an MCU movie to. And I, I think Iron Man Two is one of his first movies as a writer. But yeah, no, I think the writing in the movie actually was was pretty good. Yeah. Um, so letterbox rating. How many stars do you give Iron Man Two? I give it a three and a half out of five. Oh, my heart. <laughs> what do you give it? Well, I gave it yesterday, after I watched it, a five-star rating. <laughs> because, honestly, it here's the thing. It should deserve a four and a half, because there's some things about it that just doesn't scream five-star to me. But... I like it just as much, if not more, than Iron Man 1. So until I put Iron Man 1 back to a 4.5, this has to be 5 star. See, you've always had a love for this movie. This is, I think, the one the one movie where we're most polarizing an opinion on. Not that I dislike it. Like, a, if I give something a 3.5 out of 5, like it's a, that's a good movie. I enjoyed it. It's just this, to me, is on the more bottom rung of the MC movies, where for you, it's at the top. And I think we have different reasons for that, which obviously we'll get into. But, uh, the, the more I watch it, the more I love it. Like, I just... I, there were some scenes that just, like... The, the story was completely lost on me in some aspects, where I was like, holy shit, like, I, I knew that this happened because, like, it makes sense to the story, and obviously this had to happen, there's no other way to go around it, but I didn't really pay attention to it before, what that meant for the story. Or, like, I would watch a scene and be like, you know what, I don't think I gave this scene enough credit. This scene is beautiful. Uh, holy crap this is kind of my dream scene and there's no, they don't need a reason to do it like this. It's just fucking awesome. And they did it. And Hey, good on you. <laughs> good on you. Um, and I, I did a little bit of research on it and there was some, uh, interesting things I found out. Um, and there was one disturbing revelation about the movie that made me upset with Marvel comics. Actually. What's that? They will, we'll get into that. It, there's some, there's some information here that I feel like uh, a lot of writers take information from the movies and are like, how can we incorporate this into the comics to make make you know make sure that people that watch the MCU who want to get into comics have some parallels and you know maybe something that will make them feel at home. Whereas uh, this happens in um, in comics and for comic you know like actual readers they're 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 interested because they're like oh this is neat this is happening so like for example uh quicksilver and scarlet witch right they they uh scarlet witch isn't but quicksilver has a a character in the x-men movies um and then quicksilver's in avengers age of ultron uh so in that they're obviously not magneto's kids they get their powers from experimentation from Hydra, I guess? Mm-hmm. Um, so, in the comics, Rick Remender has a... Does he do it? 
I know he explains it in one of his stories. I think he does it in a story, too. Uh, there's some thing where uh, Scarlet Witch does some kind of spell of some sort or something like that. And then she's she's basically, in a way, like... Uh, something... I forget how exactly it goes. Let's just say it's a spell. She casts some spell being like, my father will uh, fall to his knees paralyzed because I'm, like, fighting him right now. And Magneto doesn't fall to his knees paralyzed. And then they're basically like, whoa, so you're not my father? And it's this giant reveal. And then they go into it later and basically re-explain how they got their powers and redefine them as characters because they're like, yeah, they're more Avenger than they are X-Men and that's where we want to keep them. Wow. Um, so it's interesting seeing parallels like that. And there's something like that that they should have done in the comics and didn't, and it doesn't make any sense, and I was actually looking at a wiki entry where people were like, this doesn't make any sense, and the only solution is this, which is stupid. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it is stupid. <laughs> but we'll get into that, and that is not against the movie. That is, uh... It touches on some interesting stuff in the movie. But It'd they, be a uh, pro for the movie, if anything. I'm gonna, I'm gonna call out Mark Guggenheim, because you fucked up, buddy, and you've written some fantastic Spider-Man issues... And you're a great writer, but you... I don't understand. Why? <laughs> hey, Jared. All right. Yeah. Can we, uh, can we pause the podcast for a sec? Can we? All right. Uh, public service announcement. Um, Sam went over to change his laundry. So, so don't leave your laundry in the laundry machine. Set a timer. No one wants to wait for you to grab your shit. Don't be a dick. Agreed 100%. And if you do that, please stop listening to this podcast right now because we don't want any of that on our end. <laughs> Absolutely. Or change your ways. Just be better. I mean, we're talking about a man that built a suit of armor to stop terrorists. The least you can do is change your goddamn laundry. Okay. <laughs> All right. So where were you? You were telling me uh, we're not getting to it yet, but there's something in the, in the comics that you would like to see in the comics that was done in the movie, correct? Yeah, and that's that's me ranting about how great I think the uh, the writer for this is and how how much Mark Guggenheim messed up on that, but I still I still love you. I still love you, Mark. Before we Mark. go on and we were still talking about Justin Theroux, did you catch his cameo in uh, the new Star Wars, by the way? No, because I haven't seen The Leftovers, so I don't even know what he looks like. Oh, well, he is he was the, he was the master codebreaker, the one that they were supposed to find no. oh, in Star Wars. Oh, no, yeah. I was looking at a list of all the uh, of all the cameos and shit, because I know there were a ton of them, and then they were like, Justin Theroux, and I was like, I don't know who that is, and people seemed to know who it was. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. No, because I, I, I didn't know who he was, I looked at him, and I'm like, is this supposed to be someone important? Because, like, I don't recognize him, but... <laughs> Interesting. Um, right. So, I guess this is the part we talk about the cast... That would make sense to me. So we got most of our reprisals here. Uh, most of them, I should say. <laughs> Why does someone? Is there a character change of some kind? Is it? Does another actor replace another actor? Or da, 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 Don Cheadle? Don the Hammer Cheadle makes his his first appearance in the MCU. It's funny that you call him the Hammer Cheadle because uh, Justin Hammer. He, he well, Justin Hammer. I didn't even think about that. Justin oh. <laughs> Hammer. Um, in Iron Man 3 he wears the Iron Patriot suit the Iron Patriot suit was created uh, 
when Norman Osborn took over S.H.I.E.L.D. and took over, you know, created the Dark Avengers and made himself the, the head member, took an Iron Man suit, painted it like Captain America style, and he renamed S.H.I.E.L.D. And uh, Victoria Hand, who's a name MCU Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fans will recognize, uh, was actually his number two. And she's, like, taking notes. And he's like, I want to rename it to Hammer. And then she's like, well, what is... What does Hammer stand for? He's like, I don't care. Figure it out later. <laughs> I thought it was pretty great. I think that's what they do a lot with acronyms in the Marvel comics and universe. They just like have a cool sounding acronym and then worry about the actual name, what it stands for later. Did I ever tell you about my nutsack? Your nutsack? Yeah, I was in a uh, like a an acting troupe that that did uh, like plays and stuff, and we improved a little bit, and they were about like you know, issues that teens dealt with, like, I don't know, like, maybe, like, pregnancy or, like, sex or, or drugs at parties or drinking and driving and stuff like that. Uh, and it started, we we got inspired by some group called the... I forget what they were called, but we ended up calling ourselves the Northern Underground Theater. And then on, my one buddy uh, was like, oh, man, we should add an S at the end so it's nuts. And then we're like, okay, Northern Underground Theater Squad, yeah. And then my other friend just goes, man, it'd be great if we could just, like, find an acronym for Nutsack, because Nutsack <laughs> would be way funnier. Because we were, like, sometimes we would, like, perform for, like, elderly people and stuff. We'd, like, we're nuts! And they're, like, huh, that's funny, because it means, like, crazy, not because of it means testicles. Um, <laughs> and so my friend just wanted to take it to the next level. And he's, like, oh, man, I wish we could think up an acronym for Nutsack, because that'd be hilarious if we're, like, we're Nutsack! And, and that was the point, too, where, like, when we were performing for the public, they were like, what the fuck is wrong with these Who sick, are these people? Sick bastards. Like, uh, but he said that, and I was right away, I was like, I could do that. I was like, I could think up something. I'm good at bullshitting my way through a lot of stuff. Um, like this podcast. Uh, so I, I ended up making it Northern Underground Theater Supporting Awareness and Community Knowledge. Not wow. And that's exactly I want to what stand you up did. Like, it was perfect. That's amazing. Yeah. But see, what you just did to come up with a name for your troop is exactly what they do in the Marvel Universe. They, like Peggy Carter and Howard, they would have just sat down and said, okay, like, what do we want to name ourselves? It's like, okay, let's do S.H.I.E.L.D. And then let's break that down and, you know, make it, you know, mean something, even though it doesn't. So you have more similarities to the Marvel Universe than you realize. Oh, no, less than I, than I think I have, I bet. Um, <laughs> if you're listening, Marvel, I am a writer. Just hire me. Just hire me. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, so Don Cheadle uh, replies, reprises, uh, you can't say reprising if you're stealing from someone else. He takes 100%. Terrence Howard's role because Terrence Howard decided he didn't beg for the position, which is what you should be doing if you're playing uh, Sergeant James Rhodes. I mean, he's a one of my favorite characters in the Marvel Universe, in the 616 altogether. He's, he's the best. He's the best. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he's way ahead of his time. Like, remember how crazy it was when Sam Wilson became Captain America in Marvel Comics and made news lines and shit? Mm hmm. James Rhodes was Iron Man for, like, a while. And. Rhodey is Iron Man. Yeah, he. Because Tony Stark was too drunk. And it was like a suit of armor, <laughs> so no one knew who was in there. And he got no credit, no street cred for it. James Rhodes is the man. 
And, and I really feel it's like Cheadle who kind of makes like I, I did like Terrence Howard as Rhodey in the first one, but it's uh, like I only picture Cheadle now because he's been in a few a number of the the MCU movies now, and he just it's Don Cheadle. He's like a classic, awesome actor. So I thought this was uh, pretty inspired casting to make up for uh, Terrence Howard's kind of arrogance, thinking he should be getting like the same amount of money as like Robert Downey Jr. for Iron Man. So I'm glad we got Cheadle out of all this. It, you know, it would be interesting to see if Terrence Howard was still around. Mm-hmm. But I think in the end, Cheadle was the right choice. Definitely. Um, so we got John Favreau back as Happy Hogan. We got RDJ back as as Tony Stark. We got Gwyneth Paltrow back as Pepper Potts. Uh, any other returning characters? We got we got some other characters that are small that show up later that I probably shouldn't mention now. Um, but. Any other main ones that, that reprise the rules? No, I think it's about it, other than Jarvis, of course. Um, Paul Bettany. And, you know, in Coulson and stuff. But that, that's really, I think it's really, uh, in the returning characters, that's about it. I mean, we do have uh, um, Anton Vanko. Like, he's not really in the movie, but you learn more about his character. This is his first introduction, kind of. It is his first introduction in the MCU, but if you've watched, if you're watching chronologically and you've seen um, Captain America and Agent Carter, you kind of know what you're in for with... Uh, with Anton Vanko, so it's kind of interesting to see that parallel and knowing that he's not really a good guy and what what that means for his uh, his son. It's uh, all the all that groundwork is laid in Captain America and Agent Carter. Which season? Uh, of Carter? Yeah, I think he's in the first, isn't he? I don't remember. It's been so long. I clearly have to rewatch yeah, it yeah, before they... I watch season two now because I was looking up some stuff on him and I'm like, fuck, did I know he was in Agent Carter? Because I'm like, I want to get into into that. Um, yeah, it's been uh, a while since I've watched Agent Carter, but it's in the first season. Um, they bring him in to uh, the SSR, and I forget exactly what he's doing for them, but they think he's good, and he turns on them and betrays them. Oh, man, you shouldn't trust a guy that you think is good. You know, during during those times, they, they didn't like Russia. Don't trust a Russian you think is good. Trust uh, whatever Zola is that you think is bad. <laughs> who wasn't bad? Did he do anything bad? Yeah, he did some pretty bad shit, I bet. <laughs> anyway, don't, I mean, what can you do? What can you do? Can you do? So, yeah, he's the only other character who technically returns, even though this is before he appeared in that. But uh, other than that, no, I think that's about it. Uh, so then we get Mickey Rourke as Ivan Vanko, his son. Um, I love me some Mickey Rourke. Uh, and, I, and by a lot it, of it was interesting lot. casting at the time. That's uh, you know Mickey Rourke. I think was fresh off his uh, the wrestler, which had gotten a lot of acclaim, and he was amazing in. And then the I think he became Iron Man Two was fairly shortly after the wrestler, and that's where he. Uh, he I, I do like this portrayal of the character, and it's even, even hearing Mickey Rourke with a Russian accent is quite interesting to say the least. But uh, I like his Russian no, I think accent. Character it's pretty well. good. Yeah. No, no, I think he did a good job in that. Yeah. Um. We've got Scarlett Johansson as Natalie Rushman, Natasha Romanoff, Black Widow, whatever name you want to call her, whatever one gets used. And does she get That's called right. Black her, Widow? I don't know. Her first appearance is an unsuspecting uh, Stark employee, and then we see what happens with her and when she reveals herself. I mean, we all knew that was kind of coming, but it's still still a cool yeah. cool thing to see. Um, we got Sam Rockwell as Justin Hammer. Oh, perfect casting. Sam Rockwell is probably, like, the most underrated actor of, like, one of the most underrated character actors of our time. Like, everything that man is in, he is absolutely golden. Yeah. So I was very happy that he was he made his uh, 
his appearance in the uh, in the MCU, and that I, I do think he Hammer's kind of more of like a you know not really a, he's not a serious like character. He's not really in it for you know he's more of a comedic villain, which is why I think he balances well with Vanko because Vanko's super serious and Hammer is kind of like more just all over the place, kind of like a, almost like Tony in certain certain ways. So uh, so yeah, I'm glad Sam Rockwell makes an appearance here. Totally. Um, Justin Hammer, I think, is generally an old an old bag with a company uh, in the comics. So it's interesting seeing him young and kind of try, trying to be Tony Stark, but not as funny. Um, I, I really love when he tells that that joke at his uh, at the Stark Expo, and he's like the the world's um, no, the press is now about to find themselves with a with a completely new problem. They're gonna run out of ink. And then there's like a couple people that are like eh, eh. I'm like, um, <laughs> I would tell that joke and then just keep going like Good on ya. Way way to try. But he's also like really insists that him and Tony are buddies, but they're kind of frenemies, so I don't know, it's uh he's I think it's like uh, a complex, like he the only thing, the only person I could think comparable to like someone like Tony is maybe like someone like Steve Jobs. Obviously, not the superhero aspect, but being kind of like this iconic like uh, tech, you know, person. So he like in the MCU in the real world, Tony would be recognized by everyone. Like he would be the one of the most famous people on earth. So I think Hammer just sees himself as kind of like he wants to be everything that Tony is and has everything that he he has. So I, and I think they actually do portray that well in the movie that he's like uh, very envious of what Tony has, even though he has a lot on his own, but he's not as smart as Tony. He's not as resourceful. So that's an interesting dynamic that we see. Totally. Um, there's a funny that you say there's a company called Oracle, which apparently is something in Marvel itself. Oh, I think Namor, uh, the Submariner owns Oracle. Um, but I don't know that they're referencing that I've, in the, in the, in the movie itself. Oracle shows up, it's got a bunch of advertisements in the first movie, um, and the owner, uh, the CEO or whatever, is this guy who thinks he's Tony Stark. Like, he idolizes Tony Stark, he wants to be Tony Stark, and, like, that's his, that's his whole thing. And I guess he must have done some sort of sponsorship for the movie, because his company's name's all over the place, and he actually has a cameo. At some point, when Tony's uh, walking through some party or something, he goes, "Oh, it's so and so, the Oracle of Oracle," and then he like shakes his hand, and you see him on screen, and he's he's in both movies. Uh, my my when I was going to Mac in Hamilton, my my roommate, her dad, worked with him, and she was talking about how he thought he was Tony Stark, like just I idolized Tony Stark, wanted to be Tony Stark, and got into the movies and stuff. So it was kind of a an interesting story I remember hearing from her that I, I always see him in the movies and see his thing like you see Oracle uh, later in the movie when um, Ivan Vanko calls Tony and he doesn't realize he's alive he's like uh, trace the call and then Jarvis is like tracing call with Oracle system and then you're like oh what and then the final battle is in this giant like glass sphere that says Oracle on it. So it's like their company's like everywhere in the movie. So Oracle would have paid a pretty penny, I imagine, to show up uh, to have some, you know, advertisement. Not advertisement. I don't know how you put it, but they must have paid a pretty penny to make that happen. Yeah, like I think you see Oracle. Uh, 
I forget where it is, but they have some kind of like screen going on at some point, and underneath it says Oracle, it says Kodak, and it has Sega. And like Sega made the Iron Man 2 game. So like Oracle must have done something pretty big. Which by the way I've been playing all day. Um, the Iron Man uh, 2 game? Yeah, underrated game. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. voiced himself in the first one uh, along with Samuel L. Jackson and Don Cheadle. Or sorry, Terrence Howard, I think, was in the first one as well. Um, but Robert Downey Jr. is not in the second one. Maybe Samuel L. Jackson's not either? I don't know. But I know Don Cheadle and Samuel L. Jackson definitely voiced their characters in this game. And uh, it's it's riddled with gameplay issues and there's a ton ton of stuff wrong with it but I still find it supremely fun and I might actually try and mop up 1000 G's in this one if they have uh, Iron Man armor of any kind I'm sure you'll be you'll be on board yep they got they got you can play as War Machine in this one too which is my shit there um so yeah I guess we're still talking about actors hey holy crap um so, so yeah, Sam Rockwell, I, is, is, I, I love him as Justin Hammer and how they do that, that bit. Uh, while we're talking about new characters in this, um, I should say that Ivan Vanko is an original character created for the movie. Oh, really? There's no uh, Vanko in the comics? At all. Like, in the Marvel 616, there is not one. I think they might have put him maybe in... No, I don't think he's even in the Ultimate Comics or anything like that. I think he's... He exists in the Marvel one nine 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 nine, maybe another nine, which is the MCU. Uh, um, so they basically um, took uh, just had a, a new character fill in kind of the role of uh, Whiplash essentially. Yeah, which uh, is an interesting choice, and uh, I I respect it because the way they do it made sense. Um, any other big characters in this one? No, I think that about covers it. Alright, so... This movie jumps everywhere. Uh, we start off in Moscow, where... Um, uh, Anton Vanko has just passed away. Um, and Ivan is is dealing with this, and they're watching Tony Stark saying he's Iron Man on the news, and, you know, Anton goes... That should be you. And he dies. And then um, Ivan pulls out his dad's blueprints for the arc reactor, which was created by both of them. And he starts building his own arc reactor. And he builds these little cables that go with it with electricity and shit. And uh, he creates his, um, his Whiplash Mark I armor. And, I'm starting to realize that in the MCU, it's quite, you know, seems quite kind of straightforward to build your own arc reactors and, and you know, armor suits and stuff like that, even though I think Vanko was living in, it looks like severe poverty. But uh, that, 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 that'd be fun, just to be able to whip up kind of a, a whiplash suit. I'd like that. Well, the materials are always there, right? Like, you, you know, he's he's got uh, ways to get what he needs, whereas Tony Stark was in uh, Ten Rings stuff with equipment. But... Yeah, he's. I mean, he's not doing great, but he's got money for vodka, which uh, I guess probably costs nothing. Siri, can you stop listening to my conversation? You're creeping me out. I wish you were Jarvis. Why can't you be more like Jarvis? Hey Siri. I want to see if she pick up on me, but I guess not. You're in my headphones. How dare you? <laughs> um. But yeah, so he's. You know, 
we, we see this parallel with Ivan and and Tony. Um, they they both seem like they didn't have a great relationship. Well, I mean, Tony didn't have a great relationship with his father, but I think later they, they mentioned that Ivan, you know, was spent 20 years in a, a vodka-fueled rage, and they're like, not a great environment to raise a kid in. But it seems like their <laughs> relationship's like their a little better, but, better, but he didn't turn into a great guy because of it. Uh... So, we we have this tie where Anton and um, Howard worked on this arc reactor. That's how Tony knew how to build one and made him make himself an Iron Man suit. So I didn't realize when watching it. I never really put two and two together that like, yeah, he's powered his Whiplash armor with an arc reactor, and he has the blueprints because his father helped build it. And that's really the only way you can get someone to challenge Tony Stark with a suit of armor. They're like, either you can make them build their own thing, which is like, whatever, the rest of the world's trying to do that. How are they succeeding, right? Um, but he has this in because he knows how to build an arc reactor. So who else could challenge Iron Man but him? So True. I thought that was a, kind of a good parallel for like a good villain. Um so he, he builds that, and then we get a, uh, you know, six months have passed. All the public uh, identity comic events have happened and everything. And we are in Flushing, New York, which... Interesting which, name. Yeah, I didn't know that was a place. Uh, we're, at, yeah. we're at the Stark Expo, which confuses me. I don't... Like, the, the Stark Expo is an entire year long. How... <laughs> When do they have it? Oh, maybe it's every six. If it's you know, it takes place six months after the first. Maybe it's a biannual event. I mean, it is Tony Stark. He can have as many of them as he wants, right? Yeah. Well, we have we have the expo in nineteen forty three, originally, and then I, my thought process was if it's maybe it's a year long every time it happens, and it's every ten years thing. Because you see some posters in the background where Ho- Howard's at it. And you see uh, 1954 uh, Expo, and you see 1964 Expo, uh, which is when he's showing the the model, maybe? I forget when he has it. But, um, so that would have been probably when they showed off the reactor in 1964, because 1960... No, 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 that would have been when he was still kind of young and working with uh, Anton. Yeah, so so Anton Benko came to uh, America in 1963, which is the same year Iron Man was published at Marvel Comics. Ooh, um, probably not a coincidence. Uh, nope. And then 1964, I believe he gets deported. Um, and that would have been the same year. Uh, no, no, sorry, he gets deported in 1967. So, 1964, I think, is when they have one of the uh, examples of the the expo. And then in 1974 is the the model of the expo that we see later in the movie. So, maybe 43 through 44, you know, maybe that would have been the 44 uh, expo. And it would just, you know, it's a year long, so part of it takes place in 43. Um, But apparently, since the 70s, it hasn't been going, and Tony brings it back. 
uh, but it's not 2004 or 2014, so I guess he's switching up the order, or who knows how he's doing it. But I always find that very confusing, and they didn't really explain it, but it doesn't really matter. Just an interesting kind of thing to... Yeah, true, to pick up on. Yeah. Um, so... Tony rolls in with his Iron Man suit with some some uh, Iron Man cheerleaders there. That's him building his brand again. Classic Tony. And he's in the Mark IV armor. So this one doesn't have... The, the chest kind of looks like an X a little bit, the way the armor fits. like Less like a triangle, more like an X on the, the chest piece outside of the arc reactor. Um... And the three has these weird kind of thin-like like shoulder pads that go off a little bit. And the Mark IV doesn't have that. So it's subtle, but it, it's a different suit. It's a new suit that he has built after um, the events of Iron Man 1, where the Ironmonger fucking wrecked his Mark III. Uh, so I assume in public identity he's been using that suit the whole time. Yeah, and I think this is where Tony really starts to focus pretty much in, entirely on, you know, building the next generations of his suits and trying to perfect the suit that he had kind of used in Iron Man 1. So that's why I think there's a lot of different marks throughout the all the uh, the Avengers movies. Is he still flying with his hands in this one? Does he still use, like, jets from his hands? Or is, he, is it all Ooh. done, like, through his jetpack and through his back now? He, start, he has a jet on his back that he uses? I never even picked up on no. that. No. I don't, I don't know why I call it a jetpack, but you, you know how, like... Um, I think it's his his feet, and then in the first one he uses his hands too. He has propulsion coming out of there. I just can't remember if he. I know Joss Whedon didn't use it in the Avengers. I just can't remember if he, they still had it in Iron Man two or not. But it doesn't matter. That's an interesting thought. I'll have to look back on that. Um, I think he still uses it. Ninety uh, percent sure he still uses it because I'm thinking of a lot of scenes where uh, War Machine and Iron Man. Uh, fly up and they have their hands helping them go up yeah and, if, and I think I think Joss Whedon said he didn't like the look of that so I think it's the Avengers that Tony has a new mark and he's not no longer using his hand propulsion thingies whatever you call them huh, interesting yeah that's funny so sorry where were we that's weird because I'm pretty sure in Avengers he uses the mark 6 for the majority of it Oh, really? So he has the, the hand propulsion in the Avengers? He should for the beginning, unless he switches it. Oh, interesting. For some reason, I thought Joss Whedon said he didn't like that, or I, it's been a bit now, but I that's what I thought he had said. So interesting. Um, so, so yeah, Tony uh, plays a little Howard Stark clip there uh, where we get to see John Slattery um, playing an older Howard Stark, and Tony starts talking about legacy which is really interesting because Tony is classified a lot as a futurist. Like, he's a genius, he's inventing shit, and he's always thinking about the future and, and where, you know, society and humanity is headed and how they're getting there. And so him talking about legacy is, is ties into that a lot, which I thought was, was interesting. Um... We see WHIH Network again, but this time Olivia Munn is uh, reporting for them. With that very random cameo. Yeah, before she goes on to play uh, Psylocke in the X-Men movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get the Stan Lee cameo, where instead of Hugh Hefner, this time he's Larry King, 
which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> um, John Favreau's just really into like, what does Stanley kind of look like? An old white guy. Everyone like, all old white <laughs> guys look alike. This is great. Um, I mean, he's not wrong. Yeah. And then uh, he gets served a subpoena by Kate Mara before she goes on to play Sue Storm in the Fantastic Four movies. movies. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, there there is a lot of random. Cameos. I wonder if they were supposed to be bigger roles and they just kind of got cut or what the deal was because I think Kate Mara's only in like in one scene. Yeah, she's just in the one scene. Same with Olivia and She Martin was kind of famous. Martin. Yeah, she was kind of famous by that point too. I, I think she's pretty well known at least. So there was a few random ones. Yeah, like Olivia Munn and, yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so him and Tony and, and Happy drive straight to Washington, D.C. to go to this hearing that he's been, you know, subpoenaed to. Uh, we get introduced to Senator Stern, who's a giant dick, and later yeah, on, yeah, we're gonna find out he's a Hydra agent. Um, so he's corrupt as hell, uh, in so many ways, because you can tell the entire time he's just trying to play to get Iron Man into his hands. So, you know, he's buddy-buddy with Justin Hammer, they got weapons contracts together, they go golfing together, um, not into good stuff. Um... So Justin Hammer has his debut there, you know, says his piece, God bless Iron Man, God bless America, just... Uh, God uh, bless everything. A, like a photocopy of, of Tony Stark, like a really bad, really old, got stuck in the photocopier, came out crinkled, that's, that's Justin Hammer right there. <laughs> um, Rhodey comes, presents his paper... And Senator Stern makes sure that he only reads the bits that make sense. And, you know, when he wants to say the point he's actually trying to make, that the, you know, pros far outweigh the cons, that he's like, no, stop talking, stop talking, you're not proving my point. So just really great, unbiased uh, system there. Um, yeah, he's uh, such a shitbag. <laughs> and then we got Tony hijacking the hearing, uh, showing the world... Uh, how all the other countries are doing at trying to replicate Iron Man, including Justin Hammer, and how it's working terribly. And, you know, he he goes off and says he's privatized world peace. And really, we got Tony out of control at this point. Well, that's one thing I, I thought was really interesting about this uh, the movie, these early scenes, where it's kind of establishing that Tony, you know, he, he's an American, and, you know, that's great and all, but he's kind of, he's a vigilante, essentially. He's kind of doing his... Uh, his own thing, and, and of course the government's going to be interested when they have these weapons that surpass their own by, you know, a large margin, like, of course they're going to be pressuring him and uh, and trying to, you know, bend them to his will. It's like when Dr. Manhattan and Watchmen, when he's born, they say, like, there is a Superman and he is American, like, that was, that's their main focus, is Tony Stark is a U.S. citizen, like, how should he be behaving in the realms of the U.S. government, right? Like, is, can he do this vigilante action? Like, do we try and stop him? Do we try and get his technology? So that was a little interesting dynamic from uh, Iron Man 2. Yeah, and he's too uh, too proud and too uh, too smart. Like, why would he answer to anyone else? He knows what he's doing. And in, and in public identity, we see him doing his own thing. And the whole time, Rhodey's trying to get him, you know, like, to be kind of uh, a proxy for him and the government and make sure they're doing stuff. And, you know, the government hasn't asked you to, to do this yet, and he goes and does it anyway. And uh, this is a a far cry from his actions in Civil War. So, at this point, we see him doing exactly not that. Um, but his uh, his body count's not really high enough yet for him to change his ways. 
Um, well, yeah, he's still uh, early on. Like, this is still pretty much him in, like, the, you know, prime. He's just starting to do, you know, crime fighting and vigilante stuff. So he hasn't really had the chance to let, like, the constant. There's been no big events like Sokovia or, like, you know, that have really made him question, like, am I doing the right thing? Like, people are getting hurt. Like, you know, there hasn't been a whole ton of collateral damage at this point. So he, he hasn't really been forced to sit down and consider it. Yeah. And I mean, he's the CEO of a. Uh of a weapons company that stopped making weapons. Like, how much change do you expect out of a guy in, in one movie? Like, give, give him a bit. Uh, so we cut back to Malibu, California. Uh, a lot of switching around in this. Sounds like a fantasy novel, just different locations everywhere you go. Um, we got Dummy making shakes, doing his thing. Always ready to party. Yeah. Uh we see the exact same screensaver on Tony's computer that he had in Iron Man 1. That's just good continuity. That's... <laughs> um, and then in the background, we see four suits of armor in his little hall of armors there. So we got the Mark 1, the Mark 2, the Mark 3, which is looking pretty dark and busted up and damaged. Um, cleaned it up a little bit, but it, it looks significantly darker than the Mark 4. Um, so th those those are his armors right now in the background. Um, he makes Pepper CEO, and yeah, that's uh, that happens. So that's interesting. Um, well, it makes sense to make Pepper CEO. Like I, I think that's a you know a smart move on his part because he knows that she can do the work and she's smart and stuff. And he kind of has more. You can definitely tell at this point he's kind of starting to focus less on Stark Industries and more just on Iron Man and what he wants to do with it. So putting Pepper in charge and not having to deal with the day-to-day -day operations is a smart move in his book. Definitely. Um, a weird thing I saw in the background of this scene when he's talking to Pepper, there's like three crystals on a desk with three like what look like glowing like little miniature buddha dolls or something like it's really weird it's i don't know it looks like it's something you would see in like a yoga teacher's house or something and i'm like why is this in tony stark's workshop it could be a bit more spiritual than we realize you never know and maybe with the blood toxicity levels rising and his death you know eminent in this movie is getting a little spiritual trying to fix that but there's 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 no pointing this out at all and uh, it's really in the background there's no mention of it I thought it was a weird thing to put in the background um, I feel like that makes sense it's him you know he's he's doing his chlorophyll shakes there trying to to heal up maybe he tried you know healing crystals or something like that who knows yeah alternative medicine I could I could see it yeah um, so then we have back to Moscow we see Ivan Vanko meeting up with a Ten Rings agent, which I don't know that it's super obvious at the time. Uh, I didn't notice, but he's a Ten Rings agent, and he hands him a fake ID so he can go to uh, a fake passport, I guess. Um, so he can potentially go to America, but he ends up going to uh, Monaco. Um, but the ID says Boris Turganov and I believe Boris Turganov was the second Crimson Dynamo in 
um, Marvel Comics and Tales of Suspense. I'm pretty sure I even read this issue. Uh, there is... Um, so, so Anton Vanko is the original Crimson Dynamo. He comes from Russia, and he goes, and he tries to take down Tony Stark in his Iron Man armor, right? So, Crimson Dynamo's the Russian Iron Man, basically, and he's got this badass red-armored suit. I love it. Uh, he goes over, um, and then defects to, uh, to America, as all repentant Russians do in Marvel Comics and the Silver Age. Uh, and he starts working for Tony and changes his ways and stuff, and then the Russians think he's dead, I guess. So, uh, they send over two operatives. They send over Boris Turgenev, um, and they send over Black Widow. And Black Widow has a lot of stuff in the Silver Age. I think she shows up in quite a few Iron Man comics there, which is really interesting that she shows up in this movie. Um, she started out as a villain, a uh, Russian spy. Um, Boris finds um, Ivan Vanko, steals his uh, Crimson Dynamo armor and causes some mischief there for for Tony, and in the end, Ivan Vanko, or sorry, Anton Vanko, uh, blows up the armor or something and kills both of them and saves the day, you know, the repentant uh, Russian defector. <laughs> the repentant Russian for all his, all his sins against uh, America. Yeah, so, so Anton Vanko was the original Crimson Dynamo, and Boris Turgenev was the, the second. So we have Ivan, son of Anton, having a fake idea that says Boris, Boris Turgenev on it, which is a really fun nod to the comics. Cool. So, uh, we go to Monaco, uh, Natalie Rushman is working for Tony, Pepper's doing her CEO thing, we get a, a return of Christine Everhart from Vanity Fair, uh, Justin Hammer's there, um, Tony is having issues with his uh, impending mortality and decides to drive a race car that he owns on a racetrack in a real race. Um, Ivan stumbles in with his whiplash armor and messes things up. If That's I, actually a really I, cool scene. I, I like in the, uh, in the movie, him like just kind of coming towards Tony and just the way that that's filmed. It's, it's really well done. Yeah. I, I like that scene and it's badass and it's, it's a comic book movie. What are you expecting? But at the same time, I find it a little ridiculous that he just walks into the the racetrack and he doesn't even look up. His cars are blowing up behind them. I mean, he doesn't seem to care too much about his life, but it's just like it just falls into place a little too easily. I mean, I don't want to give it too much thought because it's again, it's a comic book movie. But then also like Happy drives the opposite way the cars are going, misses all the cars and then just like, I don't know, the scene's like a little over the top. Yeah. But it works. But it works. It, it, it's over the deck. It's comic movie. Like it's the logic isn't a hundred percent there. Yeah, he just kind of strolls out and it, everything's okay. But it's just a fun scene and just like the, the you know him knocking Tony out of the car and just I, I don't know. I think it's really well done. Totally. Uh, they come in with the suitcase, which is a literal suit case. If you get my drift. 
So we get <laughs> we get the Mark V, which is uh, meant specifically to be portable. Because at this point, you know, you got suits uh, being assembled on Tony with um, with some mechanical arms and stuff, and it's not something you can yeah. really take with you. So, it takes them a bit so, to, to actually suit up, like in comparison to what will happen later on. Yeah. So we get uh, a suit that's limited. Obviously, doesn't have the capabilities the Mark IV has, but he can take it with him and use it for an emergency. So Mark V is awesome. I'm I'm a fan of it. It's really cool. Uh, what do we have? He where did I, I'm losing my place now. So the Mark V is red and silver, which is also a cool color scheme. Kind of looks like the silver Centurion armor a little bit from uh, the comics, which is one of my faves. Um, They duke it out. Tony takes him out pretty easily, even with his uh, limited armor, and then realizes this guy's got an arc reactor in his chest and, you know, destroys it. And is like, oh shit. Uh... The world erupts into an outrage because Tony's saying no one can have this technology in five to ten years. Someone has it now. Senator Stern is just loving it. Um, Ivan Vanko goes to prison, and his prison suit number is 6219, which if you mix around would be 1962, which is a year where there was no Iron Man. Right? Little bit of a stretch? Oh. Totally. Now, are you sure that isn't just one of those coincidences that you're, with your love of numbers, you're looking into a bit too much? Or is that... 100%, uh, but I figured I was going to be analyzing the numerology, so I should look into it. There's a bunch of weird numbers in this that don't make any sense. Like, I'm still sure now... Sorry, I'm I'm not sure anymore that Sector 16 has any relevance whatsoever. But we have... One nine six two or sorry six two one nine. Uh, Mickey Rourke's got a tattoo on his knuckles there that says nineteen sixty nine. I just see one nine and six popping up a lot all over, and they're that's that's Marvel Silver Age right there, nineteen sixties. It was interesting. So I don't I don't know that any of these have any numbers, but they might have been in people's heads popping up everywhere. Or I think you're like Jim Carrey in that, that movie, that awful movie that you like where he's... Uh, you don't like the number 23? Actually, no, I shouldn't say that. I've, ne- I've never seen it, but oh I think you are the only person that I have ever heard say <laughs> kind of a positive thing about it for. That's crazy. I saw a Reddit post where someone uh, was like, after watching the number 23 with Jim Carrey, I totally see why people are saying that he should play Carnage. Do you know? Do you want to take a guess as to what the Rotten Tomatoes number is for the number 23? It's not 23, is it? No, it's uh, it's eight percent. So that means, uh, you know, it's uh, not not that it's awful, but uh, you know, I, I just think you, sometimes you might see numbers like Jim Carrey in that movie where maybe there are no numbers. Oh man, I gotta rewatch that movie because I remember loving it. <laughs> I'm loving it. I, I'll, you know what? I'll tell you what. I'll watch it with you one of these days. So I'm curious. I shouldn't say it's awful because I haven't seen it, but I just remember like the reviews not being super super great, and uh, hmm. that's actually kind of worse than I <laughs> reception than I would have thought. And I love Jim Carrey. But uh, I think I'm getting us off topic. <laughs> All right. Uh, so we got, yeah, so we got, we go to Queens, New York, where uh, Ivan Vanko now is because Justin Hammer has busted him out. Um, yeah, and he's going to get him to make some 
some Iron Man armor for him because he can do it. Uh, we go back to Malibu. It's Tony Stark's um, birthday party, and uh, he's got DJ AM DJing for him. Uh, R.I.P. Poor soul. Um, he's got a he's got a nod in the credits. It's uh, I think I think the film was dedicated to him. Oh really? Yeah, because he passed away like a couple months after it uh, finished filming, I believe. And uh, yeah, so that's that's always makes me a little sad every time I see it. Um, Didn't uh, realize. Yeah, because he was in the. I'm sure you heard of that. He was he was in the plane crash uh, with Travis Barker from Blink One Eighty Two. Oh yes, that's right. Yeah, no, it was completely spacing. Yeah, and that was. Well, you're right. I think it was it not. It might have been just before or just after that. He did that plane crash happen. That's yeah. right. He's got his name in the credits though, so it would have been before it went into theaters at least. Um, but yeah, Travis Barker survived. Uh, Adam Goldstein did not. R.I.P. Buddy. Um. So. Rhodey comes in. Uh, Tony's drunk. He's being ridiculous. Being kind of dangerous. Rhodey suits up in the Mark II, and then they fight. And Rhodey walks away with the armor, the Mark II. Um, l- later on, when he's talking to uh, Agent Romanov there, she says there's redundancies in his system that don't allow anyone else to wear the armor. And I, I never really understand what she's talking about with this. I don't know what the hell that means. Um, but yeah, the, the arm, like the arms, have to suit you up in the armor. So how the hell does Rhodey just get into this armor? That's, that's a good question. Yeah, because it's like that's the same thing with Batman too. He's the same. Like whenever he leaves like a batarang or you know stuff laying around, if the criminal tries to pick it up, it's like you know it shocks them or keeps them away. So it makes sense that Iron Man two or Iron Man has a similar thing. But maybe he designed it because it seems like he. You know, he, he doesn't exactly hand one over to Rhodey, but I think as part of his long-term plan, I think he knew that he was going to be giving a suit to Rhodey at some point, so maybe he just didn't, you know, maybe there's restrictions, or maybe, I don't know, it's a good question. And I trust you to answer that one more than I would myself. And I will, later on. Oh, uh, there we go. So so another one of my favorite parts here, because uh, Whiplash in this movie never is named Whiplash, uh, but that's who he is. Um which I should probably get into because of, because I don't know when this is going to pop up again, because of this movie, I think a couple months before, like the beginning of 2010 or maybe even December 2009, uh, Mark Guggenheim wrote a, a, a series, like a little mini series called uh, Iron Man vs. Whiplash. And I, uh, Whiplash is... Guess who? Who? Not Ivan Vanko. Like, like, should be. Whiplash is Anton Vanko. Interesting. Which makes no sense. So, Anton Vanko was, a, you know, a scientist during the, the, the Silver Age and died. So, instead of being like, oh, he had a son, his name's Ivan Vanko... And he, you know, wants revenge or whatever. And he's got this Whiplash armor now. Who, because Whiplash was like a different character uh, 
in in the comics. Um, instead, they have a they introduce a new character, coincidentally named Anton Banco. Coincidentally, coincidentally, there's no like I, I was looking at the wiki and someone was like, "So this can't take place in the Marvel six one six because Anton Banco's been dead for a while, and there's no like reference to that." And Tony doesn't seem to even know who this guy is, so they've never met before. And, but it also can't take place in the Mar- the MCU because there's no other references to it. And there's a bunch of stuff that contradicts that. And then, like in an after note, they're like, they're the, he says something like, uh, "The only way this would make sense if this guy's name just happens to be I- Anton Vanko and is completely unrelated to this person." And then they're like. Yeah, this was confirmed by Marvel later on in one of their, like, guidebooks or whatever. So, like, why... You know, you're clearly doing this to try and get people from the MCU interested in it, you know, by bringing this character, because Avanko was never Whiplash before. Whiplash has never been anyone named Vanko. And all of a sudden they have a movie coming out where Ivan Vanko is Whiplash, and then Mark Guggenheim goes, okay, I'm going to make his father who's dead and not even in the movie at all Whiplash, and just make him a young kid that looks a little like Ivan Vanko. What? Why? I don't understand. <laughs> Why would you do that? That does seem uh, just a little bit strange. Pretty ass backwards, if you ask me. Uh, so, back to the movie. Um, so we have the Mark II, Mark IV fight, uh, which I love. Um, we have the line where Tony goes, you know, like, you don't have what it takes to wear the armor, where we kind of see the, the stress of being Iron Man, you know, is his made him give the CEO position to Pepper and has made him kind of lose it a little bit with everything that's been going on. Um, so we see a little bit of that. And then he says, uh, you want to be the war machine? Take your shot. And that's clearly where he gets the title war machine from. So it's not like he picks it up. He's like, oh, you're Iron Man. I'm going to be war machine because that's cool and I got guns. Like, they, they do little nods and then end up referencing later on. Um... Well, that's one thing in, uh, in Iron Man 3 It's really funny is whether he makes a reference to that, like how he's called, you know, War Machine. It's not exactly an ideal name for a, uh, a U.S. government soldier <laughs> to be running around it. Like, you know, like, shit, here comes War Machine to, to get us. So I, I kind of I like that little nod in Iron Man 3, and I think Definitely. that's when they go with uh, Patriot, Iron Patriot. So Definitely. makes sense. Um, yeah, so that's, that's good. So, yeah, Tony gets his stuff figured out i guess we don't need to go over the plot too much because it spent uh spent a lot of time going into it um i would i would recommend everyone watching the podcast watch the movie before they like i don't want to do a play-by-play about everything that happens i want to talk about what's good uh, i should i should do that as a disclaimer at the start of every podcast from now on um yeah so he's you know he gets his shit together because fury and black widow tell him to and he's babysat by Coulson and then he's we get the scene where Coulson pulls up the shield and he goes what are you doing with this and then Tony looks at the at the like prototype from the shield that we see in Iron Man 1 and goes that and then Coulson goes what you you know what this is he goes that's exactly what I need that's perfect and then he uses it to level his uh his little pipe he's working on there <laughs> which is a fun scene that which I enjoyed it's fun too because we find out in, in uh, Avengers that Coulson is like a uh, you know diehard Captain America fan, so that's kind of a little funny little uh, notion there that he's you know using Captain America. It's not it's obviously a shield, but a replica of a shield to basically support something on a table. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I didn't actually uh, really notice that before, and then I, watching it this time, was like, oh, hey, him being a Cap fanboy and having, you know, collectible cards and stuff makes sense to this scene, because he's, you know, he's an agent of the S.H.I.E.L.D. Who do you look up to more than, than Captain America, you know? Um, so he, he creates an element, which apparently a lot of people had issues with with this movie. Um, well, I mean, creating an element is pretty uh, is pretty out there, even for Tony Stark. I mean, so is driving onto a racetrack the wrong way just to save your boss with Pepper in the back. Like that's that's dumber. I, I would argue. I feel like we've we've left realism behind a little while ago. I'm not too. Well, as I say, when you have a series with like a talking raccoon as a major character, I mean, you kind of we we can throw, kind of throw realism out the window. Not that they can't adhere to realistic notions, and like it shouldn't get. You know, complete pass when something kind of crazy like Whiplash is walking onto the uh, the racetrack should be, but you yeah. know we accept them because this is you know it's it's a Marvel movie like it's you have to suspend your disbelief a little bit and that's fine. I, I like doing that. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, Tony's a futurist. Yeah, he's dealing with technology that we don't have because they're a little more advanced, um, and he's a genius. So he created an element. Deal with it. Damn, fanboys. <laughs> um, so then he decides to make a new suit of armor, I guess, to to commemorate the event. Um, and then he flies that to New York. Um, so we have Rhodey with the Mark II. And he's getting it souped up with some hammer tech. And they they change it up a little bit, turn it into the war machine armor, which I guess later he gives back, and then Tony builds him a war machine armor because the Mark II goes back into the Hall of Armor after this. Is that the official name for it, by the way, or did you make that up? The Hall of Armor. I'm, I'm pretty sure the Hall of Armor is the official name. Okay, I'd say that's a pretty badass name. I think there's like action. I've really wanted action figures. My, my buddy Bo and I have, have gone on into detail about all these like action figure hall of armors that people have made that light up so you can put all the different you know mark action figures in there and the different suits which would be add pretty cool i'd like that a lot yeah um so yeah so i, I guess at some point the mark ii goes back to being the mark ii and then roadie is made his own war machine armor which makes sense roadie's a pretty uh He's like a lieutenant colonel. He's, I don't know, he's pretty high-ranked up there, and he obviously deals with high-ops missions, so it makes sense that he would know weaponry and want to modify the suit to his, you know, because it's like riding a bike. Each, it's different for every person, so him putting on a suit, I think is he would want to modify it and uh, add his own little touches to it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we know the story. Um but everyone starts building their own stuff here. Um, so Ivan Vanko's working on his Whiplash Mark II armor after Tony gives him that little advice in prison about up, you know doubling his cycles and stuff. Um, and he combines it with an armor suit after he's been building all these drones and stuff for Hammer. So I, I think the best Iron Man villains are in suits. I know it's a little derivative, but like... It's awesome. I love Crimson Dynamo. I love Titanium Man. I love I love all of that stuff. I think even Ghost kind of has his own suit. But 
So, so this Whiplash kind of is a mix of Whiplash and Crimson Dynamo. Even though the armor's not red, it's, you know, that that's who Boris Turgonov was. That's who Anton Banko was. They were Crimson Dynamo. So I think it's safe to say this is a combination of Whiplash and Crimson Dynamo into an armor, which is another, you know, unique thing that they did in this. Um, so he's got his Mark II whiplash armor roadies in this souped up mark ii iron man armor now the war machine um tony's in his mark six which has a couple new toys in it i believe and he's got a new um so his new element arc reactor mark one and he retires the palladium arc reactor mark three so the mark one for the palladium reactor is the one he makes in the cave the one uh that pepper frames and that he ends up putting in the mark three armor and fighting iron monger with right um he makes the second one when he comes home and pepper puts it in his chest and then obadiah grabs it out of his chest and puts it in the iron monger armor and they fight it out with it. Uh, after this happens, when Ironmonger's completely wrecked, Tony makes the Palladium Mark III arc reactor, which is the one that he can take out of his chest at will without, you know, immediately going into whatever. Uh, and that's the one that he can replace the Palladium core in, and it kind of flips out like that, and it looks new. So he's had three different versions of this arc reactor, he gets the new element, Mark One, which is a different arc reactor using this, you know, new element that is unnamed and goes unnamed. Um, and I think in Iron Man 3, he has a Mark II arc, new element arc reactor. It, it, it hasn't happened in this movie, so I haven't looked into it too much, but later on he does get another one, and it, it will alert us of that. Uh... So yeah, Mark VI um, looks mostly the same, but a big noticeable difference is it has that triangular arc reactor in it, and that's the key design, so you know the Mark VI is the Mark VI. Um, and that's, that's where everyone is at armor-wise. Uh, I don't know if you know much more about this or any background story to this than I do, but... It was confirmed by Kevin Feige that the kid with the Iron Man helmet that Tony saves is in fact Peter Parker. Which I that, that, that's been confirmed. I heard that rumor. I didn't realize that, that was actually actually confirmed. I'm I'm 99 sure Kevin Feige confirmed it. Yeah, that'd be cool. It's a nice little touch. I'd like that. Yeah, I don't know that he planned that when he did that. I feel like someone said that, and he was like, "That's a great idea. Let's make it official." Um, but hey, if someone's got a good idea and you want to bluff and and respect the good idea. I'm all for that. Yeah, and it's like one of those things. Like, it's cool that it's Peter Parker, but it doesn't like if they never made a Spider-Man or Peter Parker ever never came over Marvel. Like, it wouldn't really affect anything, you know. But it's a nice little kind of cameo. Oh, I didn't realize that. So that's that's neat. Yeah. So I'm curious how that adds up in the timeline from Homecoming and the age gap and stuff. But you can't actually see his face. So, well, Homecoming already makes a grievous error when it comes to the timeline. So does it? Uh, I can forgive it. I guess we should get it. Will you remember that for Homecoming? Because I'm interested now. Well, you know, we can discuss it very quick. I will remember. But uh, 
you know how at the start of Homecoming it shows um, Vulture and like they're doing the cleanup and, and damage control comes in and kicks him out? Yeah. And then it flashes and then it says eight years later. And that's a huge mistake because it's not eight years. It's more like four or five. And it would kind of mess with the timeline. They even admitted that it was a mistake. But oh it's just God. kind of one of those those little things. Yeah, no, I was very surprised. I couldn't believe it. Wow. And here I am talking about S.H.I.E.L.D. having a name already. And we got ridiculous ones. Wow. <laughs> Now, I think we'd be doing this movie a disservice if we did not talk about the ending, though, uh, with uh, Tony. I think Tony and Rhodey teaming up in their suits is. I, 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 I think that's one of the elements that uh, really gives makes this a five star movie for you, and it is an element that I, I love think, too. Yeah. I think it's. I think it's the, that seeing this stuff for the first time, seeing that like, oh yeah, like Iron Man and War Machine can team up. It doesn't have to be an entirely isolated movie where it's just Iron Man doing everything. Like, and that, that that's where. That's how, you know, he could show up again in Iron Man 3 and fights with him again. It's how he has a small cameo in, uh, not in Avengers, but um, Ultron. And then he obviously shows joins up at the fight at the end of Ultron, and he's in Civil War. So it's kind of like this world-building starts, I think, in Iron Man 2, which is how I think you're able more able to overlook its flaws and give it the five stars and, yeah. uh, you know, which is my theory anyway. It's just like, because it is cool. You get to see, like, uh, Black Widow and... And Fury and, and like you know the idea of that this could be a larger universe than just a trilogy or its own thing. It's like they're actually building, laying down the groundwork for mm-hmm. this cinematic universe. So seeing Rhodey and Tony team up at the end is a badass moment. I will not dispute you on that at all. Seeing them fight Vanko is dope. I mean, I don't really understand what people complain about it for. I've I've read some reviews where people are like, oh, it's it's riddled by the same problems a lot of things have, like multiple enemies or villains or whatever. This doesn't have multiple villains. Is my computer dying? Am I still here? Oh, Jesus Christ, that scared me. You're, you're um, still here. Uh, uh, so it doesn't have multiple villains, like, any more than Iron Man 1 did. Like, it had the Ten Rings, and those are the villains, and then you find out Obadiah is the real villain. Well, okay, we have Justin Hammer, and then you find out that Anton Vanko is the real villain. You know what I mean? Like, like Justin Hammer is just another cog in in the puzzle that you know adds a, a different thing to it he doesn't he, i wouldn't call him a villain um I, I love the black widow stuff her getting introduced you know nick fury being an actual part of the story is great all of these things um i like ivan vanko i know he's not you know more iconic but is he any less iconic than obadiah stain i mean eh, not, not that much um but you're 100% correct in that if it didn't have this ending scene, it would not be at all for me. Like, just War Machine and Iron Man teaming up is awesome. Uh, I love their little witty banter where he's like, we need a big gun on the top there. And then, you know, they both start walking and he goes, okay, well, where are you going to go then? And then he's like, "What? I'm, I'm the big gun. And then Tony goes, no, you have a big gun. That doesn't mean you're the big gun. And the, just uh, the relationship is great. Um, and then I love too where he's like okay I, he's like fine yeah you go up there and like I'll stay here and then he's like stay here no you can't Tony this is the kill box this is where you go to die and as they're arguing about that they get surrounded by enemies in the kill box and you're like oh shit now they're really like screwed um, and yeah so they're surrounded they have to fight out all of these hammer drones and they're in a fucking Japanese garden with cherry blossoms everywhere. And if that's not <laughs> the greatest battle scene of all time, I don't know, you, you don't have a better setting than that. Like, that's... Because, <laughs> like, like, people... 
in Last Jedi. They're like, okay, but why was you know they're all the what's the point of the the salt all over crate? Uh, it's red, and it looks fucking awesome when it flies everywhere. Like, does it need a point? It sets up a little background for the planet, and this is why it's cool. Why was Hoth snowy all the time? Because it's a it's a fucking snow planet. What do you want? Like, this is a mineral planet. This is a cherry, you know, blossom garden. There's there's blossoms everywhere. There's water. The place is just it's a beautiful battle scene. It's great. I love it. And that, that added another level to me that I never really appreciated. I was like, there's pink petals flying everywhere. It's gorgeous. Yeah, no, I will not dispute you on that. The, the fight scene at the end is, is very, very well done and brings the whole movie together, and I love it. And then they get a arc reactor signature there, and Vanko comes down with his... Uh, his Mark II Whiplash armor, which is a suit, as it should be, and it's just an awesome fight, and, you know, classic, how are they going to finish it off, tie it back to when they were fighting and shot their repulsor beams at each other and it blew up, and, you know, another tie back when Vanko goes, you lose, and, you know, self-destructs, and they fly off, and it's great. Yeah, Vanko, uh, he's one of the few, not one of the few, I should say, but he, he he does die. A lot of the MCU villains, you know, like we were talking about Red Skull and Cap, and I guess Stain died too, so there, there are, you know, not all of them die at the end of the movie, but Vanko definitely does. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then we get Tony, you know, and Pepper's relationships start with, which I'm not a huge fan of, but... You don't like Tony and Pepper? Not really. Um... I hate the scene with them in Homecoming, actually, where he, like, pops the ring or whatever that's about. Like, I was like, I don't understand what's going on, and I don't understand the point of the scene. Interesting. I, I like them together. They're not, like, Cap and uh, Cap and Carter, but, I mean, I think they're okay. I don't know. They just get, like, they're together, and they're not together, and they're together, and I don't know. I don't, I don't, you never really see much of a dynamic there at all, except her just being like, I'm like your secretary. You go do your thing, and I'll do my thing, and, like, I don't know. I don't know how I care for it. Um, and then we get the the Avengers Initiative stuff brought back where they decide they don't want him on the project. He's going to be a consultant from now on. Um, yeah. Anything else you wanted to talk about the film aside from the post-credits uh, scene there? No, I, I do remember finding it strange that they uh, they only wanted to use him as a consultant for this. Because I guess it's hard to de- debate, you know, they had, they obviously had the Avengers idea around kind of when it was just Cap was kind of one of the only superheroes. So I guess they kind of had this idea and then they finally find someone like Tony who is capable and has the technology and can, uh, you know, assist them. And they kind of choose to make him a consultant, which seemed like a bit of a strange move because, you know, Tony is... Cap's the leader of the Avengers, but Tony is an integral part of it, and without him, a lot of it wouldn't be possible. Just his money and his technology crates alone. Uh, so I thought that was interesting rather than having him... I wasn't crazy about having him as a consultant rather than just like kind of bringing him more on board with being in the Avengers. But obviously, that changes, and he yeah. he does become an Avenger. Well, it's, it's like he says himself. like He's like, this was... That was last week. I thought I was dying. And, and it fits with the movie because everything he does in Iron Man 2, he's totally out of control, and you know, Nick Fury doesn't really deal with out of control. He's refusing to play ball with the military, so how would he be listening to Fury? Like, 
does Fury really want that? And then he puts in Black Widow on it, and she's the one that makes the decision and realizes he's not, you know, a good uh, team player there. So kind of makes that call. True, but they end up being wrong about that because he is a good team player. But I do see you're right. Like the logic of it makes yeah, sense. Like yeah. you know, the whole. Point I think is he wasn't not... at the point yet. Like he kind of evolved yeah. into that, and that's how that works. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Easter eggs. Uh, we got the Culver University on the TV at at that point. Um, uh, I think you see a map when he's talking to Nick Fury in the background. That's got some like lights all over the place there. Um, there's there's one uh, in Wakanda where Wakanda would be, I believe. So they had kind of done like a little bit of a Black Panther Easter egg way back when. Because this would have been before uh, Captain America and the Vibranium. Um, uh, there's there's one in the Atlantic somewhere, which maybe was potentially where Cap fell into the ice um, that they would have been looking. And then there's a spot where someone said it might have been where Sokovia was. Uh, and someone back in 2010 theorized that that was maybe Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. And, uh, wow. <laughs> ended up being right, so that's interesting. You're right on the money. They should have bet money on that somewhere. Yeah. I don't know who would take that bet, but yeah, um, made some money. And then also when he's got Howard's box there uh, with the tape and stuff, I think in the in the box there's a co- uh, copy of Captain America Comics one that I didn't actually notice. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, um, not a lot of Easter eggs otherwise, aside from you know all the just Marvel lore and stuff happening um, and comics ties. Uh, and then we get the post credit scene with uh, where Coulson got called into in uh, New Mexico and uh, the crater with Mjolnir sitting in it. That's right. He starts to do his own... Uh, they start to move into the events of Thor, even though I think there was... Did Thor come out right after this, or was it something in between? I'm completely spacing. There might have, I, I can't remember. Either way. Yeah, I think, it was, I think it was Thor next, and then Captain America after. Because it goes, what, Iron Man, Incredible Hulk, Iron Man 2... Thor and Cap, and then Avengers. Yes, you're right. So Thor, that's a nice little lead into uh, lead into Thor, and Coulson, of course, comes back in, in Thor. And I, I really, that's one thing I like about watching Phase 1, is just seeing Coulson and the rest of S.H.I.E.L.D. so uh, so active, because he obviously wants to get destroyed, and Coulson goes on to his own show, and you don't really get to see the S.H.I.E.L.D. dynamic as much in the later movies, but it's, it's but I guess there's a whole TV show about that, so I can't, I can't complain too much. Yeah. Um, so the Iron Man 2 adaptation comic... Uh, I wish I could get a hold of the original comics because issue two has this great picture of Iron Man and War Machine on the cover, and I just think it's gorgeous. Um, written by Christos Gage, who's not one of my favorite writers. Like, he's not one where I'm like, oh, you got to read everything this guy's done. But pretty much everything I've read by him, I really enjoy. He, every time a name pops up, I'm like, I like this guy. He's good. Uh, his adaptation cuts out a lot of stuff that's not. 100% necessary um, which is interesting because he's only got two comics to tell the story and I'm like I feel like he's cutting out stuff that people could put in he's just like really getting to the bare bones of the story and skipping over anything that doesn't really matter and the reason for this is because he wants to add in two things so I feel like he might have been kind of having issues with the story maybe he didn't like it as much as I did and thought some parts needed to be cut out and and or because he wanted to add in two things that he felt were totally out of place in the movie. Uh, so the first 
is that Tony is talking to Rhodey about the Iron Man suit and, you know, the Mark II, and he gets Rhodey to go for a joyride in the Mark II. And they go flying in it together. Together? Yeah, they so so Tony's in his Mark IV, oh. and Rhodey's in the Mark II. And they I thought you meant they both go. jammed into the same suit together and were going for a ride. Maybe only on cold nights. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so he gets him to fly the Mark II, which explains the you know why Rhodey was able to steal the armor, and also explains the how he knew how to work it totally fine. Even like I know he's a pilot, but there's a little difference from being a pilot in a plane and piloting a suit of armor. Uh, so I thought that was a a neat little bit um, that they added in the comics, and I think that might actually be MCU canon because I think the adaptations, the additional scenes count as as canon. It's just like not something you saw in the the movie. Say again. I, I think that might be that might be canon that this happened because I feel like I read that the adaptations are considered canon in that the scenes that aren't in the movies that are in the comic adaptation comics that are new were added in to like be background yeah, scenes. No, I, didn't see. I think they are considered, uh, they are considered canon. So, so, so that so explains why he was able to get in the suit. Ah, oh, true, but I, I think it's canon in the sense that, like, uh, you know, if something from a future movie overwrites, like, somehow said that, like, Rhodey and Tony did not go on a joyride in Iron Man 2, then that would take precedence, but I think up until that point, it is considered canon. Oh, now they're playing, like, uh, George Lucas, just, uh, however they need to fit stuff in, if they need to retcon things, they'll retcon things. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Um, it would be nice. I wish more people had continuity editors because i don't know how stuff like this happens like eight years in homecoming that's a terrible error oh yeah like, i remember like sitting there like what the hell because i think what the, i think the mistake they made in homecoming is that like it came out what was it 2016 2017 no 2017 so i think it was supposed to take place in like 2016 just shortly after civil war in civil you know that's eight years after the original iron man but the battle in homecoming the battle of the avengers is like four years so i think it was just like a kind of boneheaded little Mistake. It doesn't detract from the movie. The movie's still amazing, um, but I think it was just like a little, little mistake they made. And that's like so. That's why you always have to take that into consideration with, with canon. It's like in um, you know we're talking about Star Wars and George Lucas, like how General Grievous is you know fights Obi Wan like repeatedly throughout the Clone Wars TV show, and then in Revenge of the Sith they're like introducing themselves like it's the first time. So I think it's just once these little things you just have to kind of do your own stuff and you know just. We're, there's always going to be like little contradictory things like that that kind of go against it, but they're very small and minor. Yeah, I mean, I, they got enough money they can pay someone to get in charge of this stuff. Yeah, um, I agree. I, I, like, I don't know how, like, I, I caught that Spider-Man Homecoming one immediately. Like, I don't know how someone there didn't catch it, and I agree. I think it's a good idea in all media to have, like, you know, all, all franchises like this to have some sort of continuity guy. You pay, like, you know, 20 bucks an hour or two, and you just make sure that the shit doesn't correlate against each other, you know? Yeah, so wait, when does when does the events of Avengers take place then, year-wise? Because Iron Man, like, takes place 2008, that's that's the actual timeline for it, right? Oh, is that when it takes place? Time? Yeah, I guess in this... Because Avengers should be, like, a year after, maybe, because 
Iron Man's what? Iron Man 2, six months after Iron Man 1? Yeah, and then I, but I feel like a bit more time passes between Iron Man 2 and Avengers than a year, no? Or is that is that what it well, is? Well, if the events of Incredible Hulk, Iron Man 2, and Thor all take place in a week, I don't think there'd be too much time between Thor events and Avengers. You know what? That's a good question. Because I, I was assuming that it was... Uh that it was all taking place in like like Iron Man 2 was 2008 and, and all that but I, I could be mistaken we'll have to look into this this will take further uh, detail um, and then another thing that Christos Gage added in the the comic was at the end after you know he says we only want you to be a consultant for the Avengers initiative he walks away and then Natasha Romanoff goes how about uh, how about James Rhodes for the War Machine in the Avengers, like he seems good, and then Nick Fury goes, "Ah, I think he he works good, you know, doing like counter-terrorist, you know, operative stuff as he's doing right now. Like he should be fine as is. He's like, you know, maybe in the future, but but not for now. And and if we ever need both of them in the Avengers, then like, God help us, you know, we're gonna be in trouble. Um." Because, man, that would have been... I would have watched that. If Iron Man didn't make it into the Avengers and War Machine did, I'd still be like, I'm sold. I'll watch it. Can we just get a War Machine movie? <laughs> well, apparently they're talking about doing a Black Widow movie, so maybe uh, maybe War Machine won't be too far away. Yeah. I'd take both, but I would pr- much prefer the, the, the War Machine. Then, uh, then Black Widow? Yeah. Be interesting. I, I, I'd, I'd watch it, that's for sure. And uh, that's that. That's the, that's the movie and the comics. Boom. Kind of a long one this uh, this week. We actually, after vowing to go shorter last week, this is actually, I think, the longest one we've had. So uh, I, When I was watching it and taking my notes and then thinking about all the stuff in the comics, I'm like, this one is going to be probably an hour and a half, maybe longer. Well, there we go. So we managed to uh, go longer when we, when we meant to go shorter. Next week, though is just Incredible Hulk. There's no comic, and there's no shorts we need to watch for that week. True. And then, I think Thor has a... Well, there's something funny happen on the way to Thor's Hammer, and then there's... I think Thor has a comic adaptation as well. Um, And then Avengers has a comic adaptation. But otherwise, it's pretty light for that stuff. But Incredible Hulk next week will be very short as I think it's probably my least favorite movie in the MCU agreed so get excited for that one guys <laughs> can't wait for next week just feel free to skip it yeah don't even bother listening to to, to our like four followers out there don't uh, don't even, you, you can skip the Incredible Hulk podcast although we will talk about I'm sure an alternate timeline where Edward Morton actually stayed in the role in his currently just starred in Thor Ragnarok with uh, Chris Hemsworth so yeah. you can imagine that and then they work on a uh, War Machine movie starring Terrence Howard uh, featuring Edward Norton's Bruce Banner <laughs> um, yeah people that actually listen to this are going to sh- tune into the next episode and it'll just be us talking about video games for like half an hour and then just Sounds about right. it's an incredible Hulk podcast <laughs> alright so that's it for this week And uh, see you guys next week. Have a good week. Peace out.